0: So good afternoon everybody. Uh, My name is Peter Bergman and welcome to the final seminar uh, in the Hillary Terms series for the Reconsidering Early Jewish Nationalist Ideologies. Um, I'm very, very excited to to welcome our guest, um, who's a colleague and a friend, uh, Dr. Alana Shapira from Vienna. I'm going to just flip screens to read her bio because my memory isn't that good anymore. Uh, Elana is a cultural and design historian and the project leader of the Austrian Science Fund research project, Visionary Vienna, Design and Society 1918 to 1934, which she convened from 2017 to 2021. She's a senior postdoctoral fellow and lecturer in design history and theory at the University of Applied Arts in Vienna. Um, And uh, Elana is the author of Style and Seduction, Jewish patrons, architecture and design in siècle of Vienna, which was published by Brandeis University Press in 2016, and she's the editor of *Design Dialogue: Jews, Culture, and Viennese Modernism*, published by Bulow in 2018, which I've I, a book I know very, very well and use quite a lot in my own teaching, and I would recommend as an excellent resource. And she's also the editor of the forthcoming anthology *Designing*, sorry, yes, *Designing Transformation: Jews and Cultural Identity in Central European Modernism*, published by Bloomsbury or coming, forthcoming Bloomsbury 2021. Elana is further the co-editor of the following anthologies based on the proceedings of international symposiums that she's co- co-organized. once Freud and the Emigre um, of Emigre cultures in design and architecture and her forthcoming symposium organized together with Anna Katrin Rosberg is uh, Gestalterinnen Frauen Design Gesellschaft in Wien in the Dresden site. So what do we say um Gestalter in how I don't know how you translate that, Alana, but um sorry,
1: designers. Your figures
0: design. um women design and society in Vienna in the um, in the interwar years, um which will take place at the Museum of Angewandte Kunst, the Museum of Applied Arts in Vienna in May nineteen twenty-one. Alana is going to speak to us today about Berta Zuckerkandel and her circle, Austrian nationalism and I've got the rest of the title is on the other side. Sorry, you can finish the title for me, Alana. <laughs> anyway, welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you very much, Jacob and Peter, for the invitation. I'm very excited to present my talk today in front of some of, of colleagues and friends. Um, it's a follow up, actually, of my book, uh, Style and Seduction, in regard to how Viennese modernism addressed Jewish um, topics and Jewish, uh, uh, pers- um, I, I would say, Jewish identification. Um, When I was preparing for the talk today, I was wondering, I was always um, surprised how much material I found about the relationship between Bertha Zuckerkantel and the affirmation of uh, cultural Austrian uh, nationalism. And I would um, just to refer to, to define it before I start my talk, cultural Austrian nationalism, very similar to Jewish. Cultural uh, Jewish nationalism that was defined by Martin Buber. It's about um, renewal and transformation of culture through art and uh, literature. And um, when I refer to Berta Sukhernel and her salon, um, it's, uh, it's a story that starts in the late 1880s. In her own salon, but there are some several chapters ahead before and ahead of hers, and I start in regard to her own perspective of a salon as a cultural center in Vienna. In the 1890s, she developed it following the model of her father Moritz Scheps, who was the editor of the Neues Wiener Tagblatt and had a connections with local contemporary, but also other Europeans. He also collaborated with Crown Prince Rudolf, and I will speak about it briefly later. What is critical about the Salon was that it became a kind of an Ethiopian center of creating or or renewal of uh, cultural Austrian nationalism. And the identification of what's Austrian nationalism for her was very clear. Um, because um, her father, who had an amazing career as a uh, newspaper or editor in the 1870s and 1880s, and he was ed- publishing and editing one of the most successful newspapers, liberal newspapers in Vienna, he, at the early 1880s, started collaborating with Crown Prince Rudolf and parallel collaborating with liberal politicians in Paris, including Gambetta and Georges Clemenceau, in outlining a liberal mission, a liberal mission, a Western mission of Austro Hungarian that will combat the recent cause for unification with Germany. In Um, Austro-Hungarian and for him, for Moritz the basically the basic idea was to try and construct a multinational identity of Austrian nationalism that would be based on study of each nation in Austro-Hungarian and would be out of respect. Rudolf Crown Prince of Austria were more into um, promoting Austrianism in all over the territories and somehow there was a negotiation between the two about the idea of coming up with a new grant project of, the Aust- of a, li- a publishing project austro hungary in words and images and pictures that would be based on scientific and literature work um, studying each of the nations and the ethnic groups. And this kind of a um, Heritage that she inherited from her father, followed besides the fact that he was prosecuted by the German nationalistic, including Count Taffa and Schonera, brought her to a kind of an outline of what's a cultural Austrian nationalist ideology, according to her, and this I refer to in relation to her own promotion of the late in the late 1890s of modernism of Austrian modernism was. And I quote, enthusiastically I followed the slogan, the slogan that was um, coined by Hevesy to the time it's art and to the arts it's freedom into action. It was a question of defending a purely Austrian culture, a form of art that would weld together all the characteristics of a multitude of of constituent peoples into a new and proud unity. For to be Austrian did not mean to be German. Austrian culture. Now, given her relationship with Paris that were established by her father, George Clemenceau, and her sister, her elder sister married, um, married the, the brother of George Clemenceau, and her contacts with prominent artists in France, like Eugène Carrière Carrera and um, Auguste de Rodin. A group of young artists that were directed, um, that um, rebelled, that just uh, uh, wanted to um, um, rebel again, or were leaving the Kunstlerhaus, in, um, which, which was the main art institute in Vienna at the time, and wanted to organize a new art association came to her and according to Heveshly, within her salon, they decided a the new modernist art movement. And this included major uh, protagonists at the time, architect Otto Wagner, who was responsible for the uh, for the uh, railroads in Vienna, for the underground railroad at the time. And you have Gustav Kling, which was the major um, and the president of the new association, Gustav Klimt, and Karl Moll, who was also um, very much uh, part of this new organization and also took the dealing part, the art dealing part of the Sessizium Art. Now, um, when they come to her, she has already established a salon uh, that included also colleagues of her husband, yeah, who was a professor of anatomy at the University of Vienna, and furthermore, there were also Hermann Baer, journalists who she worked with since he- she has been publishing since 8- 1894 on applied arts and on French artists, and it included also some literary personalities like Hugo von Hofmannsthal, and uh, Arthur Schnitzler. And when she does it, they give her a kind of a um, you know an acknowledgement. Please promote our new art movement in Vienna. But, you know, it took a lot of negotiations about her role as a leader, as a journalist, and also negotiations about arranging, uh, actually, assignments or contracts for them that made her actually at the set himself not only um, a supporter through journalistic review, actually making for them contacts in different professions with anatomy, with the doctors of medicine, musicians, Gustav Mahler, who was the um, uh, director of the Opera House at the time. She granted them within the salons a kind of an utopian environment to negotiate different ideas. And, yeah, and what, what, what was the most important for her at the time, as part of the modernization was to promote uh, the idea of, um, I would say, a kind of, a, re- actually revival. Revival through uh, discourses with science and art, yeah, which was part, integral part of her salon. Now, at the time, we are speaking about 1897. This is the time when a group of young artists rebel against the Kunstlerhaus, the conservative and academic art institution in Vienna. At this time in 1897, let's see what's going on here. 1897, she has already published, she has already a salon, a prominent salon, she has several networks. Her closest um, associate at this time is Hermann Baer, who is an editor of the journal The Zeit. Baer has known has been um, has just come back from Paris. He became the, also the spokesman of a young, of young Vienna, a new literary group, as a kind of representative also of Austrian new sensibility, anti-naturalism. Barr has published in 1894 a book about anti-Semitism, and this is a, a, a surprise was uh, perhaps for several people a surprise, given the fact that. Um, he had belonged to a German nationalist movement um, called Albia, where he met actual Theodor Herzl. And Theodor Herzl was being in, also just came back from Paris, published in the meantime in 1896 his pamphlet, his most important pamphlet, the Jewish state in 1896. So this is 1897 when everything comes together. 1896 you have Karl Luegger being elected, for the second time and approved as the mayor of Vienna. And within this group of people that are coming together, Herzl uh, knows um, central people of the people who were organized around the secession movement, including Ludwig Heversy, with whom he has published in a humorous journal. Both Ludwig Heversy and Hermann Ba together with the a candle, we promote the secession as a cultural Austrian nationalism. But what is important here, that anti is always in the background, always in the background, not only because of the Dreyfus affair that starts in 1894 in Paris, which uh, in the centre of the, 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 the people who supported the innocence of Dreyfus are in the Salon of Assista in Paris, Every person that I will mention here, including Herzl himself, had to negotiate the, concept, the, the, I think, the social phenomenon of fascism. Now, when Barrow publishes his book in 1894, yeah, a few years before the Jewish state, it's after there was a crisis you know, between him and, and, and Herzl, since both of them belong to the same German nationalist movement. And in 1883, when he gives a speech after the death of Richard, um, Richard Wagner, the composer, he actually legitimizes his racial anti-Semitism. And this causes, in reaction, Herzl to leave this German nationalist fraternity. So they have had some shared background. So what does it mean? Yeah, so we have a multinational, pluralistic concept of Austrian nationalism that is promoted by Berta Zucker At a time where you have a mayor, Karl Eger, who promotes xenophobic modernism. So she has the inclusive modernism versus, versus the xenophobic, uh, 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 modernism of um, of Ega. And at the same time, you have people within her salon, including the architect Otto Wagner, that I mentioned before, as the guy who came to her and said, Come and help us create this new art movement. And later on, in 1914, as I, there is the quote here, where he says, I can assure you, Miss Counselor, that you would have been an excellent minister of art. It is a shame that you are not. So within this group of people, of artists, of journalists, of cultural critics, we have a kind of a negotiation with anti-Semitism on one hand. And what my dear friend and colleague Lisa Silverman would point out not anti-Semitism per se as hate, of Jew- as hate of Jews, but also of Jewish differences, meaning the cultural construction in different degrees of difference between um, Jews and non-Jews. This is something that was very critical. And the question arises, how did it evolve? Did the, did the, I think developed into a situation in which icons of the New Cultural Austrian nationalism Movement, icons that were identified by the leading art, yeah, that that were created by the little, uh, leading artist, Gustav Klimt, the Kiss, the lovers that was exhibited in 1908, actually reworked Zionist iconographic sources. And I refer here to the court artist of the zionist movement the fire moses lillian the silent song from you 1900 how come did he he re- reworked that i mean what was his what, what what did he think when he originally thought about it how come he? and i think there's a long process that i will try to outline for you now yeah so we have the background of a multinationalism or multi-multinationalism, I would say a multinational Austrian identity, the promotion that diversity is the is the source of unity. We have a coincidence of time or parallel, or I would say partly, partly it was innovative, they couldn't have avoided it. In which you have the, the state, uh, the Jewish state, you have the secession movement, 1897, being developed. Now, um, you have it's, I mean, I will come back to this uh, comparison at the end. What we need to know now is that the origin of this silent song by Fry uh, Moses. Lillian, it was a book, it was a bestseller book that came out December 1900 by a German nationalist actually, who believed in racial Judaism. I mean, we believed, I mean, his admiration of Judaism was a kind of, a, oh, this is the race that survived centuries long. And, um, and this German nationalist has somehow reversed the call with, they say, go back to history and reclaim your pride and beauty. Go back to Zion. And it is a series of pathetic songs that he's, um, I will just, um, yeah, in regard to reclaiming authority and reclaiming uh, um, national or group identity of the Jews about patronizing, you should go back and reclaim your heroic times of Bible. And then Ludwig Heversy, as I said, one of the one of the leading spokesmen of the secession, he writes a review of Judah with the title, a Christian Zionist and a poet. And then he says, I'm very sorry, your songs may be good, may be pathetic, may be good. Some of them are nice. The drawing may be very good. It's very interesting to look at. But don't tell us what to do. We are not going to go back to Zion. If we want to go back to Zion, it's our choice. We are not going to hear it from someone else. So um, there is a kind of an ambivalent story with Judah and several, and they were different, even the wife of, um, Lillian himself said, these people that, I'm sorry, there's a typo here it should be without an M, Um, even the wife of Lillian said those who who are embracing Zionism, be aware because they're relatively, they actually want to throw you out of Europe. And so when it comes to, um, References of sources of Zionist art, Zionist iconography, and the Viennese modernism, we have to reflect how it entered all um, several icons. And I come back to Zucker Candle because Zucker Candle and her role models in Vienna. This is something that I have also presented in my book about different women who negotiated from a Jewish perspective what they perceived as the correct Austrian nationalism. And you have Fanny von Einstein, her sister, Cecil Eskeles, jo- yeah, Josephine von Wertheimstein, and Sophie Todesco. Each one of them had took a role, a central role, in Austria from 1800 to, I would say, 1900 to the 1890s in which they managed to bring into the front and to integrate into high culture the Jewish perspective. What does it mean, the Jewish perspective? It means that, for example, in a living paintings event at the Salon of Sophie Todesco's daughter, you have an attempt to recreate the mourning Jews in Babylon referring to the diaspora story. Or you have at the facade of the Todesco, a that with the tiara and star of david referring to the queen esther or oh, you have in the ceiling and the ceiling of the dance hall the coronation of hester and another painting the, the judgment of haman which is the story of the um the saving of the jews from a conspiracy to kill them in, during the persian era and then you have also more, more so, you have at the opening of the theater, of the, the Royal Theater in 1888, a choice to present Franz Brillipratzer Esther from 1840 together with Federal Chile. But what is interesting is that the Esther there is a long monologue of Modified, and this is about how come Jewish nationalism entered Viennese modernism because it was always there in the background. So Esther, 1888, there's a long monologue of Mardechai speaking about how the Jews were persecuted in history and how they have tried to come to terms with it. This is something, these voices were already in Vienna. These voices were already integrated into high culture in Vienna. So when it comes to Viennese modernism, and it should be noted, yeah, that it was, a revival of Austrian nationalism as an all-inclusive project, there was no way that they will negate it. There was no way that they would throw it aside. And one thing that is very critical for this project was, as I said, Hermann Baar knew Herzl a long time ago. He admired him. As my colleague Werner Hanak in Design Dialogue pointed out, he fashioned him as a prince in his writings. He fashioned him as an Assyrian prince, as a beauty, exoticizing Herzl. Moreover, you know you could say exoticizing in an orientalizing way, like a, yeah. But Herman Ba also believed that Zionism was the solution for the Jewish problem. He was very much ambivalent, like, like, exactly like Boris Munchausen and the Gentiles that I will refer to today. He was very, about, very much ambivalent about the acculturated Jews and the, their central role in the production of Austrian nationalism. So there is one quote that he, when he gave an approval in the Welt, a Christian über die Judenfrage in the Welt of uh, the newspaper that Herzl founded um, in 1897. Uh, um, he said, all my efforts invested in art have ultimately represented a wild desire for the heroic. Well, these Jews have fulfilled it for themselves. What would be more heroic than the decision to turn one's dream into action? The dream was to return to Palestine. Yeah, that was the dream. Yeah, and this comes back for the Jewish state when he states here that no human being is wealthy or powerful enough to transplant a nation from one habitation to another. Um, another. So this is something very critical. And I think that when there is a call to Zion, yeah, there is a call to Zion, and that even the own newspaper that where he was the editor of the floor, the humorous paper, and they make a joke, hey, look at this dandy. He will go back to Israel and and make sure that his shoes will be kept. uh, Yeah. And you have this classical. Um, This was something that was a dream, a kind of a destiny that I suggested in my book, Style and Seduction, related to the construction of the secession house. And here we have Joseph Maria Olbrich, one of the early drawings for the secession house. And we have Wilhelm Stiast, the Polish synagogue in Leopold Gasset, in 29, as a kind of a, um, with the golden cupola, and referring to the idea of Jerusalem in Vienna as a kind of a token of reminder of the lost Jerusalem in the Orient. And you have um, hevesy referring to the secession house, a magical impression, a piece of the Orient in Vienna, referring not to the idea of reconstructing Jerusalem in Vienna, but a kind of an address that will be also a Jewish address, but and inclusive for everyone. Now, the secession, the secession was built as as an inclusive project. It was an inclusive cultural project because if you look at the calendar, you find the different religions here. You have Catholic, Protestant, Greek Orthodox, and Israelitish. Sometimes it was Jewish, sometimes it was Israelitish, but definitely, definitely all religions were included in the secession calendar, which means that there was an acknowledgement. It was part of the ideal of diversity. Now I'm just referring very fast, very fast to what character did the uh, Kandel Candle offer? What kind of salon she offered? You know, in contrast to the uh, to her um, predecessors uh, and uh, also in contrast to other salon women at the time, like Alma Mahler and uh, Eugenia Schwarzwald. She had one thing that is very critical for the anti-clerical and anti-religious and secular character, very similar to Zionism, but at the, at the heart of the Viennese modernism, and uh, as the aim aimed to renew Austrian nationalism, was the medical, was the young Emil Zuckerkandl, professor of anatomy, Richard Kraft-Ebbing, who was who died early, but he was part of the scene. And you have Adam Politzer, who was both a doctor, also patron of the New Jewish Museum in Vienna. In 18, it was opened in 1896, 1895. And you have the musician, Alfred, uh, the pianist and the composer, Gustav Mahler. Um, there were also the young Wien, the young Wien, and she refers to them as the beginning of Austrian. You have Felix Salten and Arthur Schmitzler. One thing is very interesting. It does, It didn't... Zionism, as I will show you, became a Jewish perspective, but it didn't have to be Zionist in order to be a Jewish perspective in in, uh, Zuckerberg and Salon. What does it mean? There are two memories that she brings up in her memoirs from 1940-41 in different situations, two two different cultural events. One is the music event an event in 1892 at the Salon of John Strauss, where it was so important for her that it was Aton Grunfeld who was playing the piano and the John Strauss, um, of John Strauss music. And Strauss was speaking, oh, my inspiration for the Viennese Operetta is from Offenbach, and Grunfeld is completely alarmed. What do you mean, Offenbach? Are you telling me that French France is the origin of Austrian um, coach of the uh, Viennese opera. And he says, no, 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 no. I have some impressions from here. And I have my background and the Vienna, Vu and the Vienerwald. And I have uh, experience in Leopoldstadt, And so, and then he says, he turns to, took a candle and he looked at her and said, tell me, my dear lady, tell me, what does it mean And the and she turns to him with a smile. and said, "Austria. This is Austrian culture, <laughs> you know." And so, in many ways, the idea is that the idea was that Grunfeld, the Jewish pianist, Strauss is the Austrian musician coming together, building up a new Austrian idea. Yeah. A negotiating difference, national difference with France, negotiating, yeah, what's the difference between French culture and Austrian culture? This was part of the discussions in her salon. Later on, it will be a different variation of the Stem Story Accord once the secessions was there. Um, I will continue. So now the question arises, so when we refer to Jews as part of the main leading producers of Aust- cultural Austrian nationalism. There was a lot of opposition, opposition not only from German nationalists, but also from, um, also from Jews. Like um, in 1900, in the World Exhibition in France, there were two paintings that were positioned next to each other. One was a dinner event in the in Tsira the, um, family, showing the the lady of the house, a Jewish, prominent Jewish patron, the Otterbus philosophy. And the first one to criticize it as the construction as part of a construction of modernist Austrian art was Karl Krauss, the editor of the faculty who said, the only reason that they like Klimt is because they dismissed it eventually as Jewish art, because Klimt represents Jewish art. And then um, and he said it twice. Yeah. This was Jewish art. I, I, I mean, stylistically, it, it wasn't the similar. I mean, this is uh, black romanticism. This was more natural impressionist naturalism. And still, I think there was an attempt by the patrons themselves to position themselves in a manner that they would be directly connected with the modern movement. And so the question was, and when it came to undermining, undermining Jewish patrons, always came part of the discourse and undermining the authorship of Jewish patrons or Jewish cultural producers, there was always a references to the Galician Jews as the authentic Jews and the acculturated Jews were not the authentic Jews. And so there was at one hand undermining Jews, acculturated Jews as being Jews at all at the end, but at the same time, positioning them as a symbiotic way with the Polish Jews, or Galician Jews, undermining their uh, um, uh, way of, of, of of course, their um, role or their authority as cultural as producers of Austrian nationalism. Uh, at the same time, you have a, a, a huge attraction, and the Jewish Museum opens, and it has the Gute Stube, a room that is being constructed from a, a, a Polish house um, in Galicia, a Jewish Polish house. You have Isaac Kaufmann being uh, winning a prize in the Künstler House. You have a book that from the the same book that was initiated by Crown Prince Rudolf, um, uh, Austrian-Hungarian Monarchy in Words and Pictures, dedicating um, a section to Jews only in Galicia, no Viennese Jews. They were only Jews in Galicia and the Austrian-Hungarian Monarchy according to this project. But there were also a lot of ambivalence, a lot of ambivalence that came from uh, Boris Munchausen, for sure the German, but also from the French, Clemenceau. There was an attraction and ambivalence. And you have one of the books in 1898, parallel to his defense of drivers, uh, that was illustrated by Toulouse-Lautrec, in which you have Unheimlich, uncanny imagery of uh, Polish Jews. And Clemenceau, we have to know, he was the closest, one of the closest, um, I would say, companions of Berta Zucker Candle and this comes and at the same time you have a kind of a Beshevit Singer stories in the book, admiring. This is all to say in relation to the Zionist movement and how Zionism entered as a kind of iconographic source for the production of Austrian icons is that they had to come to terms with the Galician Jews. They had to come to terms with the Galician Jews. They had to come to terms with the Galician in Vienna. And Zionism, in a way, was a form for them to acculturate the Galician Jews, to make them more closer to Europeans, to beautify them. And you have it in different, Ephraim Moses Lillian is trying to show us um, in his um, um, etching and drawings, He tries to show us how you could beautify how you could make them look more, um, more, um, I would say, salon fake. (laughs) Yeah. That they could enter the salon of the acculturated Jews. And this is something very critical. This was part of his role, part of Zionism. And you have one of the main, here you have a book by Stefan Zweig one of the first books uh, published on the Friar Moses Lillian in the jail. Also, um, the Young Zweig, who was uh, in Berlin, he was a friend of Munchausen and a friend of Lillian. And you could see through his uh, very romantic language approval of how you move a transformation of identity. Yeah? So his creative worldview, when he speaks about uh, describing His art is neither random nor borrowed. His originality blossoms forth into life from his own native soil, Galicia, then from folk mythology, Jewish and racial values, from national and be a Zionist and personal faith. So you could see how it moves, how Galician and Jewish turns into Zionist. So Zionist is kind of an umbrella to this Negotiations of identity. Fry Moses Lillian should be noted came from Galicia from a book background and made his career in Berlin as an illustrator of the Jugend. So Zionism, as I suggest, offered a kind of a, I would say, um, refashioning of the ugliness of, and I said. So, so-called ugliness of Galician Jews—it it, it, it somehow tamed them, and at the same time, it also offered Jews who were leading members of the um, cultural producers of Vienna, like the one of the main authors of Young Vienna, um, um, Ber Hoffman, Richard Ber Hoffman. Um, a kind of a model. Here we have the interior of the um, house of uh, Richard Bear Hoffman. There was a Star of David at the entrance above the entrance door. And you have him kind of uh, reworking and um, um, making Joseph Hoffman, who was one of the main leaders of the modernist movement, uh, making him rework a kind of a, a synagogue. And you have Schlaflid. Um, um, the Schlaflid uh, Formula, I and mean, you have something here. You have. They also use the, the reference to ratio to the blood of the forefathers awakening, very similar to the language of Stefan Zweig. This is something that will disappear eventually with some of these authors, but it's something that plays into the racial identification of Jews, also by antisemites and racial Darwinists. This is something very uh, um, loaded, and then you have something that I'm going to conclude with, slowly, is that um, the Zionistic ethnography that I would say, infliterated Viennese modernism, for sure, as we see here in a text written by Salton in his book on Gustav Klimt, um, was about exactly the motto of uh, Boris Munchaus and go back to history. And Satan says, oh yeah, we have Judith coming back from history to us and she is one of the Jewish women that is walking down the streets and the, down the, the Ringstrasse and how lovely that we have this revival, this biblical revival, but you still have here a kind of exoticization, a Orientalization, a very dubious uh, image of a woman losing control of her sexuality, like a kind of an orgasm in front of the people, and she, her head herself is being um, being um, taken off by her. Uh, yeah. So this is something very critical. Um, uh, but you have, but you have this um, romantic idea that we are back into the biblical times, and we're seeing this biblical woman uh, just uh, going down the streets. Gustav, um, um, so this is part of Felix Salton's support of Gustav Klim. Felix Salton was a very close member of Zulke Kandel. And just um, another figure that is very, very critical, but this is the change. And here I mean, mean Zionism Zionism developed, a fry Moses Lillian developed in his art from moving to, from the sexualized woman yeah, the, the femme fatale into a more mature woman. This is an argument that is being presented in a recent book by Swartz. um, a, a colleague from Australia wrote a book about the women's, uh, of, uh in the art of Ephraim Moses Lilian. And you could see the transformation, not only of the Galician Jews, how Zionistic ethnography changed the Galician Jews into a beautiful people. Uh, you could see how they change also the they allowed women to free themselves from this um, set sensuality, oriental. And you have the sources of Adela Bloch Bauer, the second icon of Viennese modernism that is uh, celebrated today, referring back to princess Sabbath, from Sabbath princess from the Judah that I spoke with at the beginning. And another figure of the top layer from the leader of the ghetto, you have a very similar haircut. You have the idea of the queen sitting on her throne and instead of the Star of David, you have all sorts of beautiful other oriental uh, symbols in the background. So, Conclude. Uh, We have Succa Candle with a very very inspiring set of people working together to create an inclusive cultural Austrian nationalism using the project of Viennese modernism as a representation as a source of cultural revival. Each one of her members of a salon, specifically Hermann Baer, Ludwig Hevesy had different relations to Jewish identity and Jewish difference and how they perceived Jewish difference. Parallel, you have the Zionist movement and the court painter of Zionist movement, frei Moses Lillian, developing his own positive Zionist ethnography. I think when it comes to the creation of Austrian icons, we, can't, we, we, we must include the sources, the Zionist sources, as a kind of a unification model, And actually, she refers to Zucker when she refers to the Kiss in her review of... The Kiss was painted by Christoph Klimt in 1907. It didn't have anyone, nobody ordered it. Actually, Nobody ordered that he was painting it for the Kungszern 1908. It was one of the main exhibitions to take place in Vienna at the time. And it was bought before it was finished by the Neue Gallery, which was the um, National Austrian Gallery at the time. Now it's the Belvedere. When Zucker Candle refers to it, she argues, Vienna and the Orient are closely related, are closely related. And she refers to the fact that these are the, 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 the flowers, a reference to the Vinaval, very critical to the landscape of the Heimat. She refers to the idea of the golden, the dazzling of the Orient, and the tectonic to the, the idea of the gematry. And she sees this mixture of west and east, and she says, in Klimte is a strange mixture of it. But we see it also the references to Lilian, the starry night, the image of the man bending down to kiss the woman, her trying to hold him, kissing. It's a different kind of relationship between the genders, between men and women, but at the same time, one cannot overlook the references. And I think it is critical to see it in order to see first how Jews came to terms with the Jewish background, the Jewish narratives, with the anti-Semitism, and how this managed to create the kind of a unified identity within the Austrian nationalism, within cultural Austrian nationalism. Thank you very
0: much. Alana, um, um, thank you very much for, for what for me is an absolutely fascinating presentation, as you probably are not surprised to hear. Um, boy, I can just say what I would have given to have been a dessert fork at one of Bertha Zuckerkandl's salons, but hey, I was born a hundred years too late. Um, I suppose I think before before I ask any questions, I want to maybe point out to everyone. Let me just how do I put the Q and A up here? Let me just see. Um, there's a there's a question and answer um, chat. So uh, if you've got questions, please put them up. Um, I think Yakov, are you are you going to load them up for us? Or, uh, let me just see what we've got. There. So the Q and A is open. If you want, if you have a question, please just type it in. The Q and A thing underneath. Um, So I suppose I just think I think what's really interesting. I'm not sure if this is going to be a question or a comment. We'll see in a second. But um, you've drawn together so many different um, kind of uh, themes for me. I know obviously um, for for those of us in Oxford who kind of take part of the Jewish Country Home seminar. A couple last week we talked about kind of Oscar Strauss as being the French Strauss. Now we've got the kind of we've talked about let's say what we might call the authentic stress, although I don't know if, they, um, if my French colleagues may, may disagree with me. You've got this idea of Viennese nationalism, Habsburg nationalism, I would say, as opposed to, let's say, Pan-Deutsch, right, German nationalism, um, which many Jews, in fact, embraced, I would say. And, and uh, um, you've got the the, the question of, kind of Galician or the Eastern Jews versus the Western Jews, Zionism itself literature and of course for me Mahler is in the center of all this um, I, I think it's I think I think this is what's I could one of my intentions with this this the theme of this seminar is just showing how complicated or let's say how sophisticated um, or, 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 or you know all, all these different nationalist um, streams were and I, I suppose um, I don't know where, where I'm going with this except to say um, I remember I think one of our first conversations ever, was when I was talking about this project that I wanted to do, you know, this idea of M- Gustav Mahler, who was, who was, who in fact was introduced to his wife through the, uh, through, through Berta's ex, uh, Zep Zucker who was in fact, um, whose, whose brother-in-law was the brother of the French Prime Minister, right, of, of Clemenceau. Mahler was very, very good friends with the Clemenceaus and with Picard. Mahler conducted at the Paris, uh, at the, what was it, the Paris exhibition, over in 19, talking about the Vienna Opera, Orchestra, the Vienna Philharmonic, there conducted there. He was very good friends with all these people. Not once do we hear someone like Mahler, you know, talk about someone like Dreyfus, which I find interesting. There was a certain Austrian, or, or let's say Viennese Jewish um, unwillingness, perhaps, to to talk, uh, to, to, to to focus inward. And I wondered if you could maybe talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, oh. Well, what, what, one thing I I, I think I'm, I wanted to tell you before when we st- before we start the the, the talk today. Um, it, there is an interesting reference, um, um, or that, uh, a kind of an uh, historical anecdote that actually um, shows how nationalism was so um, um, critical for the formation of modernism, because in 1910, in Paris, there is a huge debate about Gustav Mahler if he represents a French or German nationalism. And they ended up saying he represents a German nationalist, that therefore is kind of excluded. Someone made a um, a research um, about the reception of uh, Gustav Mahler in France, and he he, he really showed how uh, when, when he was received as a German, he didn't he didn't, uh, did, didn't performed his works afterwards for several years. When he was uh, somehow closer to the French. They said, "Okay, we can accept it. So it was a kind of a conditioning and therefore it was very critical also for those who were producing Austrian nationalism to produce it in a manner that was uh, very inclusive to everyone involved. Yeah.
0: Right. But it's interesting that I suppose Mahler as well, you know, Mahler, I mean, if you analyze his style, he was very much German in his composing style and actually in his, let's say, his ideological Beliefs. I mean, he was a big, big proponent of German nationalism, and so much so that that um, when he performed his second symphony in, in, I believe it was in Paris, and there was Debussy, Dukhan, they all walked out halfway through the performance because they couldn't come to terms with the music. So I would say there's a very different, uh, uh, very, 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 very kind of strong line between between the two schools. Um, we've got a question. Um, from somebody called Anonymous, who, who asked if if Bertha Zuckerkandl spoke Polish, um, uh, and you well, know,
1: this is a very good question. <laughs> this is a very good question. I don't know if she spoke Polish, but why is it a good question? Because, as I said, it was very important for um, for Zuckerkandl to um, to create. Austrian nationalist build on, on respect between the nations of the Austrian monarchy. She never, never refers directly to the Galician Jews. Right. She never refers. She only comes back to them during the First World War when she supports their refugees. And, and, and she calls for, and she published two essays about asking the Austrians to be more um, open minded and to uh, integrate the refugees that are arriving from Galicia. But before that, during the make during the production of the Austrian modern Austrian modernism, she refers only to Polish nationalism, and only Polish. For her, there was the Polish nation. She has like two essays about the pride, the proud Polish artists and their uh, formation of a new Polish art. So for her, it was also the negotiations of different acceptance of within the Austro-Hungarian monarchy the different the groups, in the independent groups of nationalism.
0: Okay. Thanks, Alana. Um, so Daniel Hardy uh, has posted, so Gruß aus Wien, is I would say Gruß aus also He said, at the risk of extending this, the discussion too far, but there, I think there's no issue there. Um, Was there tension with the authorities who might view both Austrian nationalism and Zionism as threatening to the kaun kaiserliche multinational regime um nad culture sorry <laughs> so, uh, yeah ilana
1: so what's the question I, I oh, I, i'm
0: not sorry. hang on i am just trying to read it is it a, so um was there tension with the authorities who might view both austrian nationalism and zionism as threatening to the knk so, uh, the austrian let's say multinational regime and culture i
1: don't i i i, I oh this is it's slowly but surely, came to be the representative of the Austro-Hungarian monarchy. Yeah. The artists of the secession and those who left the secessions together with Gustav Klimt in 1905 represented the Kaunka exhibitions 1906 in London, then later on in the United States. They were those who represented um, the Austro-Hungarian monarchy. There was no question about it. Um, And I think the the Zionism was so well assimilated into it, that nobody would have noticed it. It was more of an open, yeah, to the time it's art and to the art it's freedom. And within the slogan of Heveshi, everything was allowed, including Zionism, um, uh, the Zionist uh, iconography.
0: Right, so I'm just writing something down for myself and I suppose going on from that, you know, I wanted to talk about perhaps this idea of, Habs- I would say, even Habsburg nationalism as a kind of Mischkultur, right? And, and this and this is what, it, it dovetails very well with this idea of Orientalism. I mean, you talked about, was it Fanny von Einstein, is that her name? Yeah, she was, uh, yeah. It was, it was, it was, a, you know, a Jewish German salonier who brought the Christmas tree to Austria. I mean, it's quite amazing if you think about, you know, the, these little things. But I suppose um, I want to per, per, perhaps Go go further into the theme of kind of let's say Austrian nationalism as Oriental, you know, this kind of this this idea of the mixed culture, Oriental culture, and I would say even to a certain degree, certainly when it came um, to, to to the Jews, I would say from a lot of people, this idea of decadence um, and and um, degenerate, perhaps in in kind of I would say in a good way, but I suspect a lot of people didn't see it in a good way.
1: The the the. the um... The idea of the generous the, the generation I mean that which came with the German nationalism and was also there's a book by max Norder a, a well-known Zionist about it. it it works it against modern art and mm-hmm. um, it, it didn't it wasn't I mean there, there was the the, the the generation in regard to um, you referred to racial mix. I don't think uh, there's a f- uh, yeah. there was a threat with it. What do you want to say, Peter?
0: So no, I said mich- uh, not racial mix, but cultural mix. I mean, Mischkultur. Yeah. I mean, Viennese, you know, yeah. Habsburg nationalism was really based on, as you've said it yourself, on a pluralist, let's say a Mischkultur, which yeah. German nationalism certainly wasn't, but many Austrian Jews, Took the German, I mean where you know if you talk if you if you compare, let's say, I mean, sorry, sorry to bring up Mahler once again. You know, Mahler versus say Richard Strauss, the real Orientalist, the real degenerate was Strauss and not Mahler. It's quite interesting, actually. Yeah. Um, which,
1: uh, yeah. Um, so well, well um I, I, I don't think that the generation as a word was part of the language. I, no, I, but, I think
0: but I'm talking about if we analyze it, right? I mean yeah, if that yeah, no, I,
1: I I um there was a reference to elitism. Yeah, yep. the Salon culture, the, high, the, the those with money. Um, um, there was a refer- reference to snobism. Yeah, yeah. The, the, as Karl Krauss accused Varendorf uh, and uh, took a candle of Snob culture of snobism. Right. Uh, there was a reference to, um, uh, took a candle defending herself against the dilettantes and the provincials. There was a kind of a modern avant-garde rhetoric. yeah. There was a um, so the the generation or decadence. I mean, there are two words, different yeah. words. Yeah. Um, so decadence, I would say, um, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not because what is so what what I tried to show you today was how many negotiations came into it mm. into the construction of cultural Austrian nationalism. There was a negotiation with France. There was a negotiation against Germany. There were neg- or, or for Germany. There were several uh, influences coming. Uh, influences. There were negotiations with Jewish Galician Jews. There were negotiations within Vienna. Within Vienna, they were going to the suburbs and asking. So there was a. I mean, I think that decadence would only come when they were completely uprooted, and I claim, I claim they were they completely rooted within Austrian culture.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, so are there any? Oh, so is there an, oh, here's another question come up. Hold on, let me just scroll down. I'm terrible at scrolling down. Two more questions, very exciting. Hold on. Sorry, Alana, am I? Um, somebody's asked, thanks for a very interesting paper. Could you say a little bit about, about Zirka Kandel's later contribution? A oh, very good question. To founding the Salzburg Festival Music <laughs> Festival. Um, how does this fit into the bigger claims about the expression of Austrian cultural nationalism?
1: Okay, so if my my friend and colleague Lisa Silverman is with us still, I think she will have a good answer for it because she has a brilliant chapter in her book, "Becoming Austrians," on the on uh, the Salzburg Festival. Yeah. Um, the Salzburg Festival comes at the in 1919, yeah. and it was a negotiation of Hugo von Hofmannsthal and Max Reinhardt, both of them leading people personalities within. And it was about the crisis at the end of World War i We are speaking about a bankrupt uh, nation. I mean, from a big empire, they came from the small ones. And they, here they start negotiating and completely, I mean, if speak about um, a, a series of negotiations, I think the main negotiation in the South River was with the Catholicism, Jedermann. You know, there are new negotiations and then uh, still an attempt to Revive cultural nationalism, but few new in a, within the Austrian territory, uh, the new state, there were new negotiations. Also, as my colleague, what did it mean to be part of the um, new uh, product, producing new Austrian uh, nationalism as a Jew and uh, how they uh, negotiated? So, the Salzburger Festpiele and uh, Jedermann von Homannstahl with Max Reinhardt, with all the romanticism and the pathetic element of the play itself it's a lot about coming to terms within the Austrians state creating a new Austrian nationalist based on uh, com- uh, with the Catholicism the Catholic background of the state um so um, and super candle, Continues uh, to negotiate with France. I mean, she's translating uh, playwrights from France, and um, she's supporting it, as, as she supported Viennese modernism. Continues, yeah.
0: Wonderful. So, so you mentioned Lisa Silverman, who is in fact asked the next question. So, Lisa, welcome. Um, uh, a fascinating <laughs> talk. Uh, do you think that the influence of Zionist iconography on Austrian modernism provided a way for Austrian Jews to support Zionism on one hand? That's a very good question. Or, but remain Austrian nationalists on the other? Or were these two nationalisms not difficult to reconcile? It's a really great question. Thank
1: you. This is, this is my, okay. <laughs> um, I think it in art itself, I definitely think, um, I, 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 I definitely think it, within art itself, it, it, uh, it, it was reconciled. It, 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 was recon- it, it was a reconciliation um art itself proved that there was a reconciliation i i think took a candle as yeah it's it's very interesting about it how and i mean a question would be how took was super candle aware that zionism is infiltrating vienna's modernism because she would prefer to leave it open for everyone yeah and zionism would have been a kind of pataish yeah taking a party for the jews you know being Associated with a certain political party of the Jews. And especially she didn't she would have never have accepted the idea that, uh, that uh, there's a call to return to Palestine or to Zion at the time. Um, but was she conscious about this? I think she was to a certain degree. She didn't mention her Jewish identification, not in her memoirs. In her writings, she fights against anti Semitism directly, but not as a Jew, as an Austrian nationalist. Yeah, when she defends uh, Arthur Schnitzler's Professor Bernardi, she speaks about the Chasvoros and all the anti Semitism rhetoric and she, 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 she tears it apart, but she tears it apart as an Austrian nationalist. When she calls to accept the uh, Galician Jewish in Vienna, she speaks as an Austrian nationalist. Yeah. So if you speak about the idea of Zürcherkantel, first Austrian, then Jewish, Zionism for her would have been a kind of an acceptance of coming to terms with the Jewish, um, uh, those who were around her and the interest. Yeah, Thanks. I hope I answered it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, um, and Louise Hacht has asked, um, were there also, very good question, were there also prominent women in Zirka candle Salon? What about Alma Mahler? So, so Louise, you've kind of, um, I Kind of uh, read my mind. I've kind of got Alma's diaries out and everything, but maybe I'll a little, uh, over to Alana, maybe who'll give us a more more comprehensive answer. And, <laughs> um,
1: you see, both Louisa Hecht and uh, and Lisa some close colleagues, and they heard uh, an earlier version of this um, paper, um, from which i thank thankful for their citations. Um, the woman in uh, Zucker Candle Salon, um, I think. um she was in contact with different women outside Austria cooperating with them in different ways but she never um she had alba mala there but Alba Mahler was uh, part of her kind of an orchestration of a shido of a matchmaking between alba Mahler and Gustav mala um she, among the women um, artists, I don't think she would have acknowledged, but someone asked her in 1908. I'm sorry, Louisa, I'm not asking answering this directly. <laughs> But someone asked her in 1908, a woman Jewish journalist for an interview, and in the interview she refers to her father who introduced her to the theatre, introduced her to the art, introduced her to politics and to journalism, and her father and her father, and took account that keeps referring to her father. And then the Jewish woman um, journalist asks her, so are you a feminist or are you not a feminist? (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, you have achieved so much, how would you identify yourself? And uh, and kind of said, well, I'm not a feminist, but I do believe that women has to play, have to play a central role in the culture. And I think that they are the movers and shakers. So I think in many ways, yeah, perhaps she didn't want a competition with the other women. I mean, she knew Adela Bloch-Bauer, she knew Alma Mahler, she knew many other saloners." but she never granted them an active role in shaping culture, in shaping Austrian cultural, Austrian nationalism.
0: So, so I wonder if the exception would be the singers. I mean, Barr married Anna von Mildenburg, for example, who was exactly. Moller's ex-girlfriend, but also the big star, right? This is the one place where women really did, um, you know, by by, by, by by dint of casting, perhaps only, but, but I mean, they, they really did um, share equal footing with, with their male counterparts.
1: Well, Yes, <laughs> there were women all over. The, yeah. the, um, the Sessizyon was not only inclusive for other ethnicities and nationalities, there were many women involved. In the Desamptons work of the association, there were many women artists involved, many leading women artists. Um, uh, there were many patrons involved and there were many collaborations like, for example, if Sophie Lilly is around um, um, she has been working on it about the uh, philanthropic work of Zuke Kandel for the settlement for a social uh, work uh, um, um, institute in the Ottokring with other women. So they were working, they were raising money constantly for um, modernism and for social work. And so women were part of this team. This was the the network, the women network that were working behind the scenes.
0: So and there was also the Wiener Werkstätte, which is per, perhaps the more.
1: The Werkstätte is very important. The Salon Flogger, yeah. Yeah, it,
0: right. So,
1: yeah. so one
0: more. Sorry, Lana, I didn't mean to interrupt. So Stephen Beller, who is quite amazing. This Questus Q&A ch- chat is full of amazing oh. historians <laughs> of the period. I've just blown away by this, I've got to say. Um, Stephen Beller asks, how did Habsburg Orientalism, the Belvedere's roofs, for example, the connection to Byzantium, the gold leaf, the Kipfel, the, the, right, the Moorish architecture. Um, play into the Jewish embrace at times of an Oriental identity. And if I could just add to that, that's kind of what I was getting at before. I mean, think of Richard Strauss's Salome, which is, it's a Jewish opera. You know, it's in, in spite yeah. of Strauss and in spite of, and, and also in kind of, in terms of the, the harmoni- harmonic language he uses. It's very orientalist, though, if you want to put it that way. So, sorry, so Stephen, I didn't mean to I, kind of-
1: I'm very happy, happy that Stephen asked this because I think he wrote a very good essay in Design Dialogue. Design,
0: design. Yeah, I've read okay, i, I it read it, i use it actually in my teaching.
1: About <laughs> the Jews in orientalism, and he made the argument there about the orientalism as an inclusive artistic language so it's very important that stephen beller asked this question this um, talk i'm giving now um so it, it, this is goes back to stephen beller's argument about Jews and orientalism in design dialog um what i'm framing now is part that that was not presented in stephen's essay about the relationship to zionism and the and and the very important how important it was for a candle to build a, a, a culture of Austrian nationalism. But what um, um, Stephen Meller in his article refers also to the Far East. He refers to Orientalism as an open as an open language, which included Far East, um, um, Egyptian, coming to terms with different this is, part, this is part of the talk I didn't present today. There is a whole part that is, um, originates or relates also um, to the idea of uh, a Japanism in Vienna and uh, took a Candle in Japanism, the, the, the collection of a husband of Japanism, of Victor took a Candle, her brother-in-law. This is something that was part of it, but it is less, um, um, I think. If we come back to Stephen's argument about the Orientalism, uh, Jews promoting Orientalism as an inclusive language of the other in Vienna, um, it fits very well. I think it was the language of the other and an integral part of the construction of cultural Austrian nationalism. Um, The Far Eastern references comes up, and I didn't include it today, very, very um, strongly in the design
0: and also in music, if I might add. So, so Alma's Alma's recollection of her first meeting of Gustav Mahler at Zucker candles. Um, their first discussion was about the quality of of the of the of the, of the Die Braut von Korea, the Bride from Korea, the Bride of Korea. This, a ballet that was premiered in 1897, written by Josef Bayer, um, and was given for the last time, possibly with good reason, uh, in 1901. Right. So so, so um, great. Um, There's one another question here, um, possibly our penultimate question. Uh, Was Berta in Krakow and was Polish Malkunst based on her travels?
1: If Berta was in Krakow and?
0: And was Polish Malkunst um, based Uh, on her?
1: Malkunst, okay, Um, Definitely. as As I noted before, she has very good two essays, at least two essays that I read about Polish national art. And she makes, as she is, she's very serious when she writes. She she researched she takes several names of the Polish artists and she works them through. She works them through and she uh, she shows the development, that is the artistic development, and she shows the, the, the nationalistic uh, identification of the Polish. So there is definitely, if she was in Krakow, this I don't know, I can't answer, but I'm sure she had, she must have known from a close from close relationship um the, the 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 modern art scene in Poland because right. she's very she appreciates it a lot
0: okay. thanks alana i'm um, sorry. Um, i hope uh, this, if yakov do do, do, you, do you have any question I was, if not i was going to ask the final question if that's okay we have um, one no question have oh no sorry question i'm you. so sorry yeah Scroll down, Peter. It's going to get after. Unmute yourself. It's the second most popular. Oh, so so just Sophie Lily just says thank you for your thought-provoking lecture. And so Alana, you talked about the Salzburg Festival. Hey, sorry. sorry. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you talked about the beginning of the Salzburg Festival with Hoffman style in 1919. In point of fact, I mean stuff had been going on in Salzburg the decade before in Mahler and Strauss, but. I suppose nineteen nineteen or nineteen eighteen is important for maybe in a good way to end this discussion because that really spells the end of this type of Austrian Habsburg nationalism. So maybe you could just maybe um, the, apply 19, that to the,
1: wait, did you say nineteen eighteen? The, the end?
0: Well, the end of the Habsburgs really. I mean, I suppose that's that was my reasoning <laughs> for that, right? <laughs> so, okay, yeah. You know, with with yes. with that with the Habsburgs go. I mean with the with the Republic it, I mean it things do change. Um
1: There is a change in the career of Zucke Kanzel in 1918. Um, She uses her political connection with France and she made interviews with politicians in England and in France in order to to, to try and make a kind of a um a, a, a parallel diplomatic relations for Austria. Yeah. So she asked them and so to give to, to support uh, Austria or to, to try and negotiate a better deal for Austria and to be less revengeful after World War One. Um, she interviews several people and she starts um, supporting the Salzburger Festspiele. It's still I think um the yeah, just one point, you know The Lovers of Klimt or The Kiss, there is one review of it, that says this is not a Zionist painting, but it's a romantic painting, a universal theme, but it's from a Jewish perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think the same goes to Mm Tsuketan. She was not a Zionist and she was not a party for Jews exclusively. But many of her dealings with her negotiations about modern art before 1918 and after 1918 represented a Jewish perspective, a distinct Jewish perspective. <coughs> I think in this regard, the model of an inclusive art that everybody would feel part of it, this was her, her motto. Yeah, Power in diversity.
0: So Elana, I mean, I think I can think of no better way to end this seminar. Um, uh, before I end, I suppose we will be back next term for for kind of with the Israel Studies seminar and uh, the Reconsidering Early Jewish Nationalist Ideology seminar. Um, we uh, for anyone who's interested, please do send an email uh, to myself or Yakov. Um, and we'll get you on the list. Um, I suppose the term card will be forthcoming in a few weeks uh, over the break. Um, I want to thank everyone for coming both to, to, to both of these seminars throughout the term, in spite of all the technical mishaps we've had and kind of we, we've we managed to kind of, you know, all's well that ends well, I suppose. Um, I suppose that's it, Alana. I just wanted to thank you very, very much indeed for a really, really thank interesting... Thank you. Prov- yeah, thank, you. Um, thank, thank you so you. much. Okay, thank you. okay, there we go.